alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsanin ila yawmiddin rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri wahlul 'uqdatam min lisani yafqahu qawli ba'd assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah my dear brothers and sisters uh, my dear elders young friends uh, welcome to uh, this edition of friday night mic drop um, and tonight inshallah we will be discussing a very important and relevant topic as we always try to do um, and uh, if you've uh, joined us before you know that we try to go uh, behind uh, the headlines or behind the things that are commonly being said uh, or being talked about uh, on the internet or uh, you know in the media and try to get a deeper look and, and really try to have a, uh, a conversation uh, from the heart so uh, we'll be trying to do that today uh, or tonight rather uh, regarding this really important topic which um, is um, seldom talked about in our community uh, but uh, is likely a, a, a big part of, uh, of our reality um, as Muslims uh, and uh, as uh, residents and citizens uh, of North America. Uh, we we having uh, two very distinguished uh, guests who are experts in their fields. Uh, so let's get to them uh, right away. Uh, so first of all, uh, we have Sister Barbara uh, Louis Helms, uh, who is a registered uh, psychotherapist, a chaplain, mashallah, uh, and uh, very experienced uh, in her field, uh, working uh, for a number of institutions here uh, in Ottawa, uh, dealing with members of the community on a regular basis uh, and and really uh, having a great positive impact, mashallah. Welcome and assalamu alaikum, Sister Barbara. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, and we also have joining us uh, from uh, Toronto, Sheikh Omar Patel, uh, who is also a registered psychotherapist, mashallah, uh, with the Khalil Center in uh, in Toronto. Uh, and uh, mashallah is a, is a sheikh in terms of Islamic uh, knowledge, Islamic studies as well. Uh, and also uh, very much involved uh, in dealing with uh, our brothers and sisters in the Muslim community, uh, mainly in the Toronto area. Welcome. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Omar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa for having us. Oh, yeah. uh, so, um, you know, let's get right into it, Sister Barbara. I mean, um, you know, we're talking about uh, self-harm. Um, what are the types of feelings, the types of struggles that leads a person uh, to harm themselves? Well, I think first off um, is to recognize self-harm is not necessarily the same thing as um, intent to to attempt or commit suicide. Um, there can be a number of different things. I think the first thing that comes up is pain. Um, there can be some sense of unresolved pain that um, that that the person who commits self-harm does not have a constructive way to deal with. Sometimes um, that pain can, sometimes that pain can be, I would say almost in the inverse, uh, the system has, the person has learned to block feelings because they have painful feelings. And so sometimes um, self-harm is almost a catharsis. It's a chance to, to feel something when they feel so numb and deadened because they've gotten used to shutting down their ability to feel because they're, they're not able to feel pain. Um, there can be, there can be a sense of guilt or, or, or punishment or pain. Um, but in one way or another, it's a maladaptive way uh, to deal with, with pain, um, maybe a sense of loneliness, a sense of helplessness. Um, it can even, in a, in a strange way, give a person a sense of control. They're able to do something. So there's a variety of different reasons why someone would do self-harm. But I think um, you consistently, it would be a, a, an inappropriate or maladaptive, uh, an unhelpful way to cope with with pain and distress. So I'm, I'm sure that there's other things as well, but that those are the things that would come to my mind, um, you know, I think offhand. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, and I mean tonight, you know, we're uh, we're we're sort of talking, I think, to two audiences, so uh, or two groups of, you know, to two segments of of, of the community. Um, you know, one uh, individuals who are actually in this situation uh, and perhaps uh, are looking uh, for um, members of their community like ourselves to talk about these things openly, um, uh, so that they can, um, you know, um, get <coughs> some sort of. Uh, hope and also guidance and recognition of what they're actually going through. Um, but there's also other segment of, of our audience who probably, uh, I'm assuming, like myself, doesn't know too much about this issue, uh, has perhaps heard about it, but has perhaps even trouble understanding like why, you know, anyone would actually want to hurt themselves or uh, what, what, uh, what, you know, physically harm themselves or hurt themselves in order to uh, get away from emotional pain. Um, so, you know, so I just want us to keep that in mind, inshallah, that we're sort of uh, trying to address both uh, both groups. Uh, but thank you for that, Zakhlaq, uh, Sister Barba. Uh, Sheikh Omar, you know, with your work uh, with um, the Khalil Center, um, what is the extent of this struggle and this challenge that you find in the course of your work in our communities? With, uh, with the Khalil Center, so just to introduce the Khalil Center, I guess, I, uh, the Khalil Center is a psychological and spiritual wellness center. And so by that, I mean it is, uh, is a place that we come to integrate Islamic, Islamic studies and the Islamic sciences with professional psychology. Uh, so this work is very near and dear to us because as individuals who have studied Islam and Islamic theology, um, Islamic studies, uh, the seal of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to be able to incorporate that into our profession uh, by serving others as uh, you know counselors, psychotherapists, psychiatrists, and so on and so forth. Uh, we're able to do that in this space in the Khalil Center, and the Khalil Center the the term Khalil is actually just that, right? So having a confidant, having a close friend to be able to, be able to walk with you on your journey, uh, going through difficulties and challenges with you and staying by your side. So that's why the name the Khalil Center is actually present. At the Khalil Center, in our intakes, we actually collect a lot of data um, by asking questions uh, to the patients. And one of the questions that we pose to the patients are, um, how likely is it that you are uh, have thoughts of uh, suicide? So we want to assess their suicidal ideation. Uh, thereafter, we ask them, have you had a plan to be able to, if yes, do you have a plan to be able to commit suicide, right? And so, yes or no. But what's interesting within the Muslim community, especially those individuals that do come to the Khalil Center reach out for services, one in three individuals, Muslims, uh, do suffer from suicidal ideation, so have thoughts of committing suicide. Mm -hmm. um, I was uh, looking at uh, some uh, numbers. So there was a, a study uh, or a survey rather that was uh, done by uh, by Nasiha uh, Helpline, um, which uh, was uh, this was back in 2018. It was uh, they had 162 respondents. Um, and uh, of them, uh, and of course, they were, they were trying to focus on young people because I think that's their, their main uh, sort of uh, audience or demographic. Um, and um, you know, when asked if uh, when when they asked if people had ever had the urge to intentionally harm themselves, sixty percent said that they had the urge. Uh, Forty-six percent had acted on the urge, uh, and seventeen percent were frequently. Uh, harming themselves, uh, you know, at a, a minimum once a month. Uh, Sister Barbara, you know, uh, and I mentioned, you know, in the beginning that we we're sort of talking to these two audiences. 
uh, with regards to you know people who may be um, you know going through the struggle. What do you tell family members? Um, because you know we often find uh, this, uh, this challenge, I believe, amongst young people. Uh, parents, of course, and Mashallah, you have great experience uh, being a mother. Um, you know, what do you tell parents and family members when they have a, a young person in their family, their son, their daughter, um, who is going through this, this struggle? So first off, um, I want to make sure that we're not merging um, suicidal ideation and self-harm, um, because even though there is an, there, there can be overlap, um, it's important to know the distinction. Um, so again, as, as um, Sheikh Omar was saying, um, for suicidal ideation, we usually look for three things. That's if someone has the intent to commit suicide, they have a plan, and they have a, a, the means or a weapon. If that happens, then you go to an emergency room, you call an ambulance, that's a mandatory reporting requirement, and the person needs to be dealt with with right away. But to feel low or depressed or to have thoughts that, gee, I wish I was not alive. I wish I was dead. Oh God, please take me from here. Um, that's something that's unfortunate, but it's, 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 um, I want to say in a sense, normalize it in a sense that these are not uncommon feelings. It doesn't immediately mean that you need to rush to the hospital. These are things that you can um, provide the person support, um, therapy, different ways to, to deal with that. But that's not, that's not an immediate um, danger that something is going to happen because it, it's important that at the same time we're cautious and we we take um, we take precautions and we support people when they're in danger. We also need to know when the type of support is more supportive counseling than immediately taking them to the emergency room or calling the police or something like that. So so it's important that that way to know the, the distinctions. Um, and the other thing is again self harm. Um, can be a catharsis. It can be trying to feel something or take control in a situation. So on one hand, I would want to validate the distress and that the, the parents could feel or the individual could feel. But at the same time, knowing that it is quite common, um, I would want someone to understand that this is not just a unique disaster that's only happening to them. In a sense, kind of normalize it in that, yes, these things are more frequent than we'd like to to believe, but they're there. There are ways to treat this. And so um, it's important that whoever is experiencing this does get the right help. But then the treatment is to first off to to validate the pain, not not the not the behaviors that the person is choosing, um, to find out the factors that are involved. And and usually when when you can break apart something that seems overwhelming, you, you break it down into small um, understandable pieces, each and every one of these pieces can be addressed and dealt with. So, so at the same time, yes, it's a, a concern and it's validating. I wouldn't want to minimize that, but these are definitely things that, that can be and should be dealt with. And for, for the person who's just doing these things and they don't understand, there's lots of good studies now to understand what are the behaviors that would give rise to this? What are the, the, the reasons, the, the causes for this? What are the behaviors that are maintaining this? And even after a while, it can become like an addiction. There's physiological things that you get almost a kind of a re endorphins of reward as you're going through this type of ritualistic behavior. So it becomes self-maintaining after a while. So um, to realize that we we are able to break this down and, and address it piece by piece. It's not just, oh, you're going crazy. A lot of the times when people do things and they say, oh, I'm just going crazy. Well, 
the the human brain is is an amazing thing. It comes up with all kinds of different ways to respond to to distress, to problems in the environment, to internal psychic problems, psychological problems. And so when I say a maladaptive response, usually there is something that that the psyche and the, the, the body is trying to do. They're just doing it in a wrong way. And so if you can help un, un, untangle that and, and rechannel that, there's an amazing capacity for healing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so part of the job of a good therapist, a good clinician is to work with the person, understanding all these factors that are involved in triggering this behavior and maintaining this behavior, and then help rechannel whatever those urges are, um, whatever those those needs are in a way that is adaptive and healing. And so, mm -hmm. yes, it's distressing, but it can be dealt with. And so I would not feel hopeless or discouraged, whether you're the person who is, is um, involved in those behaviors or whether you're a parent or someone who is uh, watching this. And of course, it's distressing, but yes, it can be dealt with. Mm -hmm. And inshallah, there, there is help. And we, we're understanding this more and more. Right. Um, so... Yeah, and, and also no shame. Um, sometimes uh, people, and I think in the Muslim community, we have a lot of thou ought not to this, and if I was a good Muslim, I wouldn't be doing that. Um, that kind of shame and guilt is is not a good start. Um, you, you probably already know it's not a good behavior, and, and you shouldn't be doing it, but you're doing it anyway. Well, there's probably a reason, and can we help you find more adaptive ways to address whatever that underlying cause is that gives rise to that behavior? Mm -hmm. And hope is, is, is that key important word here, right? Especially, I mean, for the individuals who are engaging in this type of behavior, finding themselves with the struggle, but also for the family members that, you know, this is, as you mentioned, you know, it, that fine balance between, uh, you know, normalizing it, um, but, you know, also recognizing that it is, uh, you know, something that, that needs attention and that, that needs to be uh, dealt with. Essentially to say that if, if you're experiencing this or if you have a family member who is, they're not the only ones who are, you know, and there's there's a lot of other people who are going through the same and help is available. So I think that is a, a very uh, important and reassuring message. And I want to say for our audience um, that, uh, and I know people are watching live and then they'll also be watching later, but those who are watching live uh, on Facebook and YouTube, uh, you can leave questions and comments in the comments box, uh, inshallah, and I uh, should be getting them here and uh, we'll present it uh, to our guests, inshallah. Uh, Sheikh Omar, you know, we're, we're talking about self-harm and I mean, again, we, uh, that distinction that Sister Barbara mentioned, of course, between uh, suicide and, and self-harm, but, you know, what type of behavior are we actually talking about for those who may not be aware, for those who are hearing about this for the first time, like what are people um, who are going through the struggle, what are the types of things that they're doing to themselves? So I guess I, I do want to be clear that, uh, you know, this could be triggering for some people. So mm -hmm. be uh, sure to reach out to a loved one um, or to, to us in the comments and question section to be able to reach out uh, if you do need support. But uh, what is meant by self-harm is actually uh, an individual who's dealing with deep distress or emotional pain. And uh, they can't express their feelings, right? They can't express it into words. So they start to express it into actions against themselves. They can't uh, express their anger in words. They can't journal. They're not writing it down. And they're using that expression of all of that built up pain and that emotional distress by either cutting themselves, right? Severely scratching their skin, um, burning uh, parts of their body, uh, whether it be hair, whether it be skin, whether it be limbs, so on and so forth, hitting yourself, banging your head, um, uh, sticking sharp objects in your body, um, 
intentionally preventing, you know, certain wounds that you've created, preventing them from healing. And, and so there's many different ways and types of self-harm, but that's the common one that we usually see um, in my work with youngsters and individuals that come to the university or here at the Khalil Center is, is the cutting. Mm-hmm. And um, what are some of the signs, uh, Sheikh Omar, that, um, you know, family members uh, should be looking out for, uh, especially when it comes to young people? So self-harm is a result of, again, emotional distress. So you're looking at signs um, of depression and what signs of depression are or severe anxiety are, you know, uh, severe weight gain or severe weight loss. If you're, if you see individuals that are going through, uh, you know, different bodily changes, if their mood changes, they usually regularly go out on a weekly basis. Now they don't want to go out or anymore. Um, they regularly chill with their friends. They don't want to chill with their friends anymore. Uh, individuals who are going through um, severe life changes, drastic life changes, whether a loss of a job, loss of a family member, so on and so forth. Uh, you want to look out for uh, signs in language. I'm not feeling too well. Uh, I don't think I can handle this anymore. I just wish I was dead, so on and so forth. Likely individuals that do express themselves that way are yelling and screaming for help. And chances are that they have committed self-harm. Yeah. It's, again, it's for us, the family members, the clinicians, the community leaders to be able to ask, right? So we want to find out, we want to dig deeper. We want to be able to untangle, as Sister Barbara said. So what we want to do is ask those questions. Is there anything I can do to help? How are you feeling right now? Um, what can I do to be able to make the situation better for you? I love you. I support you. I care about you. We want to empathize with them. That It must be really difficult what you're going through right now. How can I be of more assistance for you? Right. And Mm -hmm. we want to show that empathetic ear by listening, active listening, being present, um, just being there as a confidant, as a friend, as a person with them on this journey because of their isolation, their loneliness. Being present with them means the world to individuals going through this crisis because of their isolation and loneliness. Mm -hmm. Sister Barbara, you know, this um, to have a family member in such a situation, especially for you know, parents or, or siblings who uh, are not aware of this and don't understand it um, could perhaps be uh, frustrating. Like, why is anyone hurting themselves? Um, you know, why can't you understand? So what, what are some of the behaviors perhaps that uh, family members should be careful about or friends should be careful so, about that they should not be uh, doing, uh, you know, uh, okay. dealing with? So the first thing when when I was hearing Sheikh Omar is, is yes, this type of support. And it's very hard. If you're a parent, the first thing you want to do is freak out and and get all, get very distressed and also maybe give them a lecture and tell them this is haram and Allah will be angry with them. You know, whatever it is, because you just want it to stop. And um, as much as those feelings, I would understand that being a parent myself, it's important that you find some place to kind of well, your own emotional distress, get the support that you need so that what you what you show to the person is calm and nurturing. Um, they don't need to be told that it's head on. They probably know that already, that we're not supposed to hurt ourselves because um, it's not something that's a conscious choice to say, I, I'm going to do something that I know is wrong. It's coming from another route. Um, and so I think that um, the other thing is any type of, of, of negative behavior, we have this 
I think in, in terms of dealing, for example, with substance abuse addictions, um, motivational interviewing is often used uh, because the person will have both of those conversations going on in their head, that something is good and something is bad. So when you come at a person telling them, you know, like all the reasons why they shouldn't be doing this, um, you may not realize it, but you push them in their mind to all the other reasons of why they need to be doing this and what this does for them. So, so whatever you can do to not show your emotional upset or give some kind of lecture to the person um, that will help you to at least not kind of shut them off. Uh, the other thing is that um, when you can envision or when you can convey confidence that the person does have the ability to get better. So yes, they're in distress. You take that seriously, but you also know that they have the ability to heal. And so you're going to work together. So you don't, it's very important that you don't convey to the person that just their behavior is so unacceptable. And this is such a disaster that, 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 you know, they're not capable of doing something. They're hurt. They're um, distressed but you are going to journey with them. You're not going to leave them alone in this. You're not going to judge them for this. Uh, you're, and you have confidence that in the right circumstances, they will find a way to heal. So I think, again, that's that kind of non-judgmental um, support, but also you don't minimize it. You do, you do journey with them. You do connect them with what they need, but, but, it is, unfortunately, it is much more common than we would think. The other thing is, uh, we were talking about how you can tell if a person is doing self-harm. I think the most important thing was like the behavioral cues that the Sheikh Umar was saying. But one of the other things is you happen to see car scars. So if somebody starts to wear, let's say, long sleeves and, and you can't see different parts of their body that maybe they're cutting. But I mean, people would find places to cut, you know, that would not be as as a parent, maybe the inside of certain of their limbs. Um, the other thing though is cutting, depending on how people are cutting, um, the cutting is often in a way that it's not meant to, the difference between cutting and, and, and attempting suicide is where the cuts are, are not intended to really um, cause major blood loss, but it's to to leave marks or leave scars and have some kind of pain without. So, so the direction of the cutting and things like this is also something that a clinician would look at and and understand that this is not the same thing as attempting suicide. So again, as a parent, you see this and the first reaction may be to, to, to really panic, but realize that this is, this is something that, um, again, can be dealt with step by step. So try not to overreact or get the support that you need so that you can then come there with that sort of calm, non-judgmental, um, empathetic support for the person. Yeah, and I guess the, the message there is that it's important to understand that a person who is in that situation is is probably not in that situation because they want to be in that situation or they're not, you know, doing any of these things because they're enjoying it or because, uh, you know, they think it's fun to do, but rather it's a reaction to mm -hmm. a crisis that they're facing, a struggle that they're facing, and um, they don't need to be lectured at that point. They already know a lot of things that we would say when we're lecturing them, but rather, you know, they, they need our, our unconditional love and support uh, without any judgment to help them uh, through that struggle and through that crisis. Um, uh, Sheikh Omar, uh, you know, Sister Barbara uh, mentioned something in passing that I want to sort of uh, dwell, uh, touch upon a little bit more. Uh, and that is, you know, the role of, uh, of faith and how we understand um, or approach self-harm uh, as well as suicide, um, because they are similar in some ways as well. 
uh, when it, from a faith-based perspective? You know, how do we reconcile between the prohibitions? So we know from a, a fiqh point of view, from an Islamic point of view, from a religious point of view that, you know, we are not allowed to harm ourselves or to commit suicide. Um, but then there's also the, the reality that, you know, these are serious struggles that are being faced by, uh, by a number of our brothers and sisters. So how do we uh, reconcile between the two? Well, I think uh, first and foremost, it's up to us to be able to recognize and acknowledge that Islam is uh, a combination of mind, body and soul. And Islam recognizes uh, these three aspects. So when you look at the mind, body and soul, um, we look at, uh, you know, physical illness and we think about, you know, high blood pressure or diabetes. And there isn't a stigma in relation to that. And if an individual within our family or community is suffering from diabetes or high blood pressure, we very highly recommend them to go seek out a medical practitioner um, to make sure they take their medication, go for the weekly regular checkups and so on and so forth. Uh, similar to a spiritual illness, when uh, spiritually we feel like we're lacking in something, uh, we look out for the other individual. We say, you know what, it's, it's time that you go, you seek out a sheikh or you know, recite uh, more Quran or do your adhkar and so on and so forth to be able to establish and secure uh, a meaningful relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to strengthen your spirituality. Similarly, the mind and the emotions. Uh, when we are going through something that is emotionally distressing, it's up to us to be able to find professional competent care to be able to uh, help us navigate through those challenges, uh, those emotional difficulties and challenges. Uh, Islam does prohibit suicide. Islam does prohibit not harming oneself. And I guess the reconciliation between that is recognizing that the people, the individuals that are doing it are not doing it intentionally, uh, are going through a, a severe uh, level of distress. They are going through something that is mentally challenging, um, but also also emotionally distressing. Uh, recognizing that uh, as Muslims, our faith and our relationship is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses us to go through the different stages of life that we go through, whether it be grief, whether it be happiness, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran, it is He, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who allows us to laugh and allows us to cry. So all these different emotions, right, and the regulation of emotions comes from the divine subhanahu wa ta'ala and recognition of that should be on our part. So going back to something that Sister Barbara mentioned, Right, it's not about us as much as it is about the individual that's going through something. So what we tend to do is we try to make it about us. How come you're not doing this? I told you if you did this, you wouldn't be in this situation. Why did you go out with that person? Why did you take this? I told you you should have gone to this school, so on and so forth. And then we try to make it about us and about our advice giving and so on and so forth. And the problem that happens is it takes attention away from the person suffering, going through the challenges. And one of the, the most important, I guess, usul uh, of counseling that we learn is whose need is actually being met, right? So when we say something, when we pose a question, when we ask, um, you know, a patient or a client or a relative, a family member, someone going through distress and suffering uh, a certain question or make a comment, recognize and be self-aware that whose need is actually being met from this. and. If there is a part of my personal need being met, let's put that to the side and make sure that the need of the individual going through this specific challenge, their needs are met. Hmm. 
can I comment on that? And I think this is really important, like say for parents, we all want to have righteous children. We all have an, uh, um, a model in our mind how our children should be. And the challenge is not to say, okay, you need to be like this and, and, and this is what you need to be. It's how can I journey with you for this? And so again, this idea that don't lecture or preach, um, having suicidal ideations or plans or self-harming, um, it, it it's, should be pretty clear to the person involved that this is not okay. So the point is not to tell them it's not okay and put more pressure on them. It's to keep them safe if they're in danger, but also to try to move them to a place that this no longer seems to be the appropriate response. So you don't just say stop it. You you need to figure out how they will no longer feel you know, that this is the only response that they can make for their situation. So how do you journey with them? And at that point, this is a challenge from Allah. We don't like to see our children's and loved ones suffered, but telling them how we need them to be is all about us, not about how we can support and, and be part of their journey, which is our responsibility for those we love, for our children, for those we care for. Definitely. Also the reconciliation between, you know, our faith and uh, the challenge is that recognizing that a lot of the challenges that we're facing and we're going through today were actually present in the time of the Prophet Right. So if we look at, you know, Zina, there, there's a recognition that the youngster came to the Prophet of Allah and he said, give me permission to fornicate. Right. Um, and, and interestingly enough, there were a couple of Sahaba who actually took their life by means of suicide and uh, narrated in the hadith that uh, a companion that is unnamed, came with Tufail ibn Amr Dawsi, uh, and he migrated to Medina to spend some time with the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But now the separation of family, the separation of town, um, you know, being distant and being lonely, even though you're in the company of other Sahaba and the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he still suffered from isolation and loneliness. And so he, he wasn't able to bear it anymore and he took his life, right? And so, Tufail ibn Amr went to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Again, you can expand upon this within your community, but just a recognition that this is not something new that we're facing. This is not a new dilemma. This is something that we're trying to destigmatize, and we've been destigmatizing it for a long time, and we may continue. But our job is to make it aware within the community that this is, it's, it's normal, it's happening. Muslims are taking their lives. Uh, by means of suicide. There is high rates of depression within the Muslim community. Uh, mental health uh, challenges are increasing, especially now with uh, the COVID-19 outbreak, right? So these are certain challenges that we have to face and we have to begin, you know, having conversations about. So kudos to you and your community t for, you know, taking uh, the step in having this conversation. Yeah, alhamdulillah. And it's, um, and, and exactly, it's, you know, recognizing that this is a reality and uh, we need to talk about it. And I mean, if if, if we are to be there for our community members, uh, for our children, for our youth, uh, for uh, all members of our community, and if we believe that, you know, our religion gives us uh, the guidance and the tools to be able to to, to cope and, and deal with, you know, the various struggles of that are part of human life, then, um, you know, we absolutely need to play a role uh, in, in that. Um, now, there is a, 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 a question, uh, Sister Aisha Huff says, um, uh, for Sister Barbara, what would the, the healthiest approach be uh, to facilitate professional, professional help uh, for someone, especially if you are certain that they are self-harming? Should you even prompt professional help to them? So I guess the first off, it would depend a lot on, let's say, age and your relationship to them. 
Um, I'm assuming from the question, this is, is not like, um, this would be maybe a peer or this would be a sibling or someone like that, that, that it's not like a, someone that is directly under your responsibility. Um, I think the first off is we talked about what, what I call mandatory reporting requirements. If you know that somebody is in danger, that means that they have suicidal, ide more than ideation, they have a plan, they have intent, they have a means, um, then you definitely, you do something, you get help for them, whether or not they consent to that. But other than that, especially if you deal with somebody who's not a minor, or even if you deal with a mature minor, um, it's very hard to, um, to make them get help, or it depends on how you prompt them, because uh, if they're not ready for the help and you you insist on it in some way, they get further away. So you have to you have to be a very good listener, number one. You have to not be so the first thing is communication to use supportive listening skills. And so we learn things about if some you know, noticing when somebody is not feeling well, when you have a sense that they're doing something. So you um you provide a you provide a space for them in which they do not feel stigmatized, they don't feel judged, um, where you can validate the pain that they're feeling. You, that's not the same thing as saying, I agree with what you're doing, but you can validate whatever their situation of distress is. And um, the other thing is that you want to listen. You don't want to immediately take charge of the situation and start you know, telling them what they should do. Because again, that, that can reinforce the idea that they don't have competency or agency. Mm -hmm. So something else is happening to them from the outside, you know? So I think you have a supportive listening. Um, if you do know referrals, if you know, do know the services that are, that are near to you that you can recommend, that's a good thing, um, but also involve them in the process. So is there somebody you would feel comfortable to, or could we go to such and such a place together? You try to include them in the process so that it's not something, unless it's real danger, you know, you feel that somebody's in imminent danger, and then you 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 want to do something or suggest a course of action where something is done, whether or not the person agrees. Other than that, you need to keep that relationship of trust and work with them. But, but let yourself avail yourself of the different resources. There's the Khalil Center, there's counseling centers, there's um, different types of, there's chaplaincy services, there's different types of places that you can go for next step, but try to work with the person in, in that, that supportive, non-judgmental um, conversation. Um, thank you for that. And I think that's, you know, a, um, a constant uh, or, or very regular question that comes up that, you know, I have um, a mature minor, as you said, uh, or an adult in my family, a relative, a friend, and I know that they need help. Um, but how do we, uh, how do I uh, convince them uh, to, to, to get that help? And of course, uh, we can't force them, you know, we can't force anyone. Uh, so that uh, is, is, is very important, uh, what you mentioned, Sister Barbara. Uh, Sheikh Omar also, you know, specifically now talking about youth, uh, young people. Um, if if there is a, a, a youth, a member of the family uh, who's, the, who's considered a young person, um, who and and they don't want to uh, go in for help, they don't want to come to the Khalil Center, or they want they don't want to talk to Nasia. Oh, I mean, what are some of the ways uh, that you know, if you were speaking to them, um, that you would uh, try to convince them of the fact that they actually need help, and there are places. Uh, that are safe places for them to go within the Muslim community and get help. Uh, so, just to clarify, how in what in in what capacity would I be speaking to them? Would it be like a family member or a friend? Or... Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, someone uh, maybe uh, someone that you know, or someone comes to you, and you know, you're uh, you just sort of have an opportunity uh, to talk to to them. 
uh, not in a sort of formal setting, uh, but if you were able to say something to a young person who is not willing to or who is struggling with this idea of getting help, what would you tell them? Extremely nuanced, subhanAllah. Uh, with, with youngsters that are going through challenges and I have a, a chance to be able to speak with them, converse with them and encourage them to seek help, uh, usually what I, I do say is just uh, I validate I validate their challenges I, I I normalize it I recognize it I empathize with them uh, it's not much about saying uh, for me in in the work that I do or in the approach that I take a lot of it just comes down to listening uh, and letting them know that I'm there for them giving my contact information uh, my email address and letting them know that if they ever need anything they ever want to talk that I'm there for them and that I I, I will you know answer their call so a lot of helping an individual go uh, that is going through challenges is being present with them and they have to be able to hear that so if you have to reiterate it by giving your information uh, by a hug by you know a firm handshake um, by calling them and checking in on them just helping them recognize time and time again that you are present you are there for them so it's not much about what you say but it's more about how you conduct yourself with them. Mm -hmm. And um, I uh, also want to mention uh, that, you know. It's extremely nuanced. Extremely yeah, I know, nuanced. I know. And I put you on the spot there, so I appreciate that. Can I just, I, I think we were both saying the same thing. One of the difficulties is that, um, yeah, they're in, they're in distress. They're, they're not coping well. They're making poor decisions. But if you do something that you're taking even more control away from them, um, it becomes scarier and they're more likely to pull away from you. So unless it's a situation that you really need to come in and they, they're they a danger to themselves and you need to institutionalize them or you need to, to forcibly put them in some place, the main thing is trust. So you want to work with them. Um, you you want to give them the sense that you're not going to take away, because sometimes the self-harm or even making plans, this is they're trying to reassert control when they feel helpless. So if you reinforce the idea that you're going to come in and, and do something you know, without their their um, engagement or their consent, it makes the problem worse. So you really have to be there. They need support, but you're going to work with them. Um, they're still in the driver's seat, even though you're going to help. Maybe don't give them the keys if they're not ready to get the car started. I mean, you can, but you don't take away their sense of of, of self agency. You support them in making better decisions and reaching out more. So so again. It's very nuanced because if you come in there too much to solve their problem because they're not behaving competently, you've lost them. They go further away, especially yeah. youth. Yeah, and that's a really important point because I think when people are, are not trained to deal with uh, such uh, situations and such challenges, uh, we want help. But a lot of times I think we end up either saying the wrong things or, uh, or doing something which is totally counterproductive. To the uh, to the actual uh, circumstance and the situation. Now, uh, Sheikh Omar, you know, I uh, you did uh, you know bring up uh, which I think is very powerful, especially for for people of faith um, and those who are perhaps not going through such such challenges or have trouble understanding why it's an issue. Uh, the fact that you know at the time of the Prophet wasallam, you know there were companions who had gone through uh, struggles as well, and even some cases of suicide. Now, of course, you know, giving those examples is not done to to say to justify it or to say that it's, it's it's okay to do that but rather to know that you know if if someone is feeling that way they're they're not the only ones and there were people even the best of times who were in the company of the prophet sallallahu 
who also face struggles, um, you know, uh, which may be similar uh, to to what people today are are feeling. So uh, that that point is important. Um, and uh, Sister Barbara, I want to ask you that I want to talk more about faith here. That you know, um, what sort of uh, tools do you find um, coming from uh, you know in your toolkit coming from faith when you're dealing with with Muslims, uh, especially those. Uh, you know, who consider themselves to be uh, faithful, but are still, you know, struggling with with these types of uh, challenges. Uh, I think any of the the practices that we have, whether it's salat, whether it's reading Quran, some form of zikr, um, even just uh, contemplation, these are these are all important tools. I think what's important is how they're applied. If somebody is in a state that that they feel bad about themselves and the more they pray, the worse they feel. And so the prayer almost becomes a punishment. Then I say, be easy, have balance. We're also told that, 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 you know, balance and moderation are very important tools. So it's almost like if you can, if you can figure out, if you can give yourself permission to figure out what is, what resonates with you the most. So if you find there's certain, Verses of Quran, there are certain there are certain um, zikr that give you comfort. Um, you can you can trust your own instincts. I think to to find the things that soothe you. If you find that um, you're you're sometimes it happens where where religious practices can become part of the problem themselves, then remember moderation, then remember other religious values that that would prioritize, let's say, family connections or um, looking at Allah's creation in the universe. I, I very often like to sit in a, a spot and, and I'll look at, you know, nature and I will think of Allah's tawheed. So I think there, there's, there are many different healing and calming things. The main thing is don't use religion as another reason to feel like you're a failure. Oh, I was supposed to do all my sudden and I didn't get it. Like, use that openness to say there's a whole means of ways to connect yourself to Allah, to your fellow human beings, to your, to your own inner self. Um, so give yourself permission to, to use this as a way of grounding your being rather than punishing yourself with excessive practices and then feeling bad about it. That, that's the one thing where you, you change your relationship, perhaps to some of your, some of your practices. And then, um, I mean, you, I think anything you're looking for, you, you can find. If you, you want patience, you want hope, you want a feeling of connection or support, we have, we have everything, you know, depending on what your need is. Sure. Um, Sheikh Omar, you know, the, one of the things that at least I've come across uh, when uh, people come to me for help is, uh, and of course I'm, I, I need to refer them somewhere or I'm trying to redirect them uh, to someone who can help them uh, more than I can, uh, is this uh, concern, perhaps reluctance, about going to a psychotherapist or going to a professional who perhaps, you know, does not understand the faith, does not understand the culture. Um, and uh, this, uh, you know, a lot of times is a... a a, a very real concern, especially for parents uh, when uh, they're looking for help for, for their children. Um, you know, if someone comes to you, comes to the Khalil Center, what difference uh, will there be between the approach that you will take, the Khalil Center will take to deal with the struggle of a Muslim versus what um, they might find uh, otherwise, meaning if they were going to someone who was not aware of, of the faith and the culture? So there's, there's a huge difference in terms of uh, first and foremost, cultural competency, but then also um, religion and uh, spiritual uh, spirituality being a part of uh, 
the therapeutic process. And so what happens when an individual comes to Khalil Center, generally Muslims come to the Khalil Center, and they all they want to incorporate faith and culture within their therapeutic process. Uh, there's a question within our intake form that how important is it for you to have a therapist or a clinician clinician who same who shares the same faith background as you and 75 uh, percent of our clients and patients that come into the Khalil center uh, desire that and want that because they're able to resonate they're able to uh, talk about um, their salah they're able to talk about their athkar they're able to talk about their relationship and the nuance within the relationships at home uh, that are also important to them but they're important to them because religion places that importance upon them and they can discuss that freely and openly with their clinician. To have that understanding or that common understanding with uh, their clinician is extremely important uh, to patients and clients that do come into the Khalil Center. Um, so one thing that I, I really want to reiterate uh, to everyone watching and listening is that it's very important to find a clinician or a therapist or a counselor that you can be comfortable with. And take your time, take your time in finding someone, um, you know, have a free consult, go out and, and search for a therapist or a professional um, in, in their field that's able to resonate with you, that's able to, you know, build a connection or alliance with you, that you're able to develop rapport with them. And if you don't feel comfortable, it's okay. Look for someone else because there is someone out there that, you know, can connect with you. Uh, that will be able to understand your struggles, your challenges, and uh, will be able to help you in uh, the way that they know best uh, and that is best suited to you. So don't settle, right? The same way you wouldn't yeah. settle for uh, a spouse or you wouldn't settle for a car or a house, don't settle for your therapist as well. But also mm -hmm. recognize that, you know, there is no difference between diabetes and depression. You wouldn't say, uh, you know, the uncle in your family that has diabetes has diabetes because he doesn't pray Fajr Salah, right? Um, so you wouldn't say that about depression as well. It could be, uh, you know, uh, biological condition. It could be something that um, has come up for them, but it doesn't have to necessarily be related to, you know, their spirituality or their lack of adhkar or their excessive uh, nawafil and so on and so forth. So depression is no different than diabetes. Uh, anxiety is no different than arthritis, right? And so we have to be able to normalize it and destigmatize it in that way. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I want to talk a little bit more, uh, and we have a, uh, Sister Robert, we have a follow-up uh, to, to the question we asked you earlier. So we'll get to that in a minute, uh, but uh, Chef Omar, I just want to follow up a little bit more. So, you know, if, if, if a, a client comes to you uh, struggling with self-harm, uh, with, mm -hmm. you know, uh, suicide ideation, what approach, you know, the Islamic uh, the integrated approach to mental health, how would that be different? Uh, uh, how would that be, you know, how would that compare to a conventional approach to, to deal with a struggle like that? So again, it depends. It depends on the case. It depends on uh, the patient and their needs. Um, we only go as far as the client or the patient wants us to go, right? So we will not involve or incorporate. Some clients come in very clearly and say, I don't want to discuss uh, Allah or the Messenger of Allah or anything like that. I don't want to discuss faith at all. I'm coming to you just because uh, you are a Muslim therapist and you can understand some of the needs, but I do not want to talk about God. So we'll go as far as they want to go. But now the hikmah in them coming to the Khalil Center is that our space is a faith-based space. Uh, we do break in sessions. Uh, after the session, we'll go and pray with our patients. We'll come back. Um, we, we do have, you know, uh, ayat of the Quran present around. So again, just being in an environment, I could encourage 
uh, a client or a patient to say, okay, what does that mean? I see that in Arabic. What does that mean? Or um, if I was to ask about the Prophet and, and their condition or how they would deal with it, would you be able to answer that for me? Um, if there was an imam that you could guide me to, do you have a religious consultant on site? And then when it comes to something that, which is more nuanced, for example, an individual who is suffering from OCD and their OCD is in relation to spirituality, now is known as scrupulosity. Now, so for example, they're making wudu, but their wudu isn't five minutes, it's 50 minutes long because they continue washing one spot where they feel it's dry and they continue washing over it. So now they're wasting water because they, they, they have developed a severe anxiety disorder known as scrupulosity. How do we deal with that in relation to, so again, we take you know a faith-based approach, which is something known as a traditional Isla Islamically integrated psychotherapy. Uh, the Khalil Center's actually published on it, right? So it's, um, sorry, applying Islamic principles to clinical mental health care. Um, and this book's available, published by Rootledge, available on Amazon. So there, there, we have the faith-based approach, I can't go too much into it, right? But we do take uh, roots from the Quran, from the Sunnah, um, and and discuss that and bring that into our healthcare model. So it's not traditional CBT, DBT, different psychotherapeutic modalities, but it's all of that combined with uh, the way the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam would provide active listening, um, providing a prayer, beginning or ending with a prayer, uh, incorporating. Uh, the cultural nuances, the religious nuances into uh, the discussion. Mm -hmm. So it goes beyond simply being aware of cultural religious nuances and actually trying Definitely. to integrate Definitely. them, incorporate them in, into uh, the entire model uh, to the extent that the client uh, feels comfortable with. Definitely. So if you look uh, at the Islamic model, sorry, if you look at the Islamic model, you'll see that um, in Islam we have many different sacred spaces. Right, so we have uh, the masjid, for example, where individuals will go and pray. Uh, so that would be a place for them to harness their spirituality and their their connection with the divine. Um, then you have uh, the khanqa, right, or uh, the zawiya, where individuals would go to be able to train their hearts, to be able to strengthen their spirituality, you know, and remove any uh, spiritual illnesses. And then you have what was uh, the first psychiatric ward in Baghdad which was opened and created by Muslims. And uh, that's a part of our history because not just taking care of the spiritual self or the physical self, but also the mental and emotional self. And so incorporating all of that, right? Having a chaplain, a counselor, a therapist, an imam, uh, an individual needs to have meaningful connections with all of these different individuals within their communities community to be able to progress at a or excel at an extremely high level mm -hmm. uh sister uh chaplain barbara i should say that's your correct title uh there's uh, the follow-up question from sister aisha for you is uh what would be a balanced and reassuring discourse uh what would a balanced and reassuring discourse be in the islamic context that you could give someone who struggles with guilt over their actions of self-harm so one of the things that that has impacted me is I'm hearing lately a good translation of Islam is not submission or surrender, it's a seeking of wholeness and healing. So surrender or submission are, are secondary meanings to this larger process. So when you have that in mind, you don't talk about 
did I do something bad? Do I feel guilty about it? You look at what are the barriers to that wholeness and healing? So when something happens that is blocking you from that, then you look at it as an issue that needs to be understood and addressed. So definitely it's, it's not a, a positive thing um, that you are in distress and you're harming yourself, but you look at it as something that you need to consider, you need to understand, you need to have patience and hope and help to to address so that you can continue on your life journey, which is, you know, the intent is to have a continuous seeking of wholeness and healing. So in that model, yes, I'm I'm not whatever that harm is, I'm not identifying it positively. It's a negative thing but it is the challenge that I need to understand and address rather than, you know, you see it in that larger thing. So, so you're giving it the appropriate, um, the appropriate attention, the appropriate concern, but that's part of the larger connection that you need. Um, the other thing, and I, and I kind of like to respond to the thing before that, that Sheikh Omar was saying, um, when you have these, this Islamically integrated psychotherapy and, and, healing, um, some of the main themes that you see in the regular, um, the regular counseling world, issues of meaning, belonging, connection, um, the elicitation of hope, these are the factors that people have found in psychotherapy that elicit healing. Um, if you can find that you're getting those supports that speak to you as a Muslim, this is part of the beauty of psychotherapy. It's not just like, a, it is like medicine, but it's not. It's not like you take a pill and something happens. You can try different modalities, but if you if your therapist can work with you to unlock that thing that inspires hope, the therapist, the therapist doesn't heal you. I mean, maybe there's a great sheikh that'll do a great dua. I don't have that capacity. What I can do, there's no magic here. What happens, or or even, I, I can't say that I have a great spiritual power in my dua, I'll certainly pray for you. But my job is to help discover what will elicit your hope, what will help you to share that sense of connection, meaning, and belonging. And that's when the healing happens. Culturally infused counseling, non-Muslim culture uh, counselors who recognize that Islam is important for their client, they will work with that. They will find out what is important to the client because when the client starts to feel hope, the client starts to heal. So again, um, putting those things together, uh, if you are self-harming, it's, it's unfortunate, it's, it's a problem, but it's something that you need to see as your challenge and find the support that you can get that connection, get that belonging, get that meaning, get that sense of hope that you can find ways to work through that and go on that larger life towards being who you are meant to be in front of Allah. Don't pathologize yourself and get stuck, okay? Redefine it in a way that you can move forward with it. Sure, inshallah. Uh, we have a uh from Sister Sheikh uh, Omar, if you can share the title of the book once again, inshallah. Uh, that would be uh, helpful. Yeah, just to pull it back a little bit. Yeah, there we go. Applying Islamic principles to clinical mental health care, uh, introducing traditional Islamically into, uh, and the Sheikh Omar, the name of the publisher? Pardon me? Sorry, the name of the publisher? Uh, Rootledge. Rootledge, okay. All right. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, we have 
Um, I, uh, we might be having some issues with some technical issues, so I apologize for that. Um, but uh, there's another question if you're uh, still able to hear me. Um, brother says, uh, harming, is, uh, harming oneself is not only physical, it could be emotional also. By staying away from the people we love, by treating our families in a bad way, or simply not taking care of oneself, not taking medication, for example, uh, could be some kind of depression. What would be the advice from an Islamic point of view to the person and uh, to their parents? Um, Sheikh Omar. Uh, so again, it comes down to uh, a part of self-harm, right? And so recognizing that you are uh, putting a restraint upon yourself, you are causing difficulty upon yourself. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to harmonize between the mind, body and soul. And the best way to harmonize between the mind, body and soul is to be able to address your needs and to be able to fulfill your uh, permissible needs. And so uh, what is meant by that is if you're withdrawing from family members, um, the withdrawal process shouldn't be more than three days, right? So again, going back to the hadith of the Prophet Wasallam, that you shouldn't uh, uh, not say salam to your brother or sister for more than three days. So again, have reach out to them. If someone is not taking their medication, then you know encourage them to take their medication because medication is extremely important and it helps balance and create a balance between uh, it, within your body and it is helpful for your recovery and so on and so forth so recognizing that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created for you uh spaces but also means for you to be able to interact with to get better to feel better uh to look better to be better and to be your best and so what we do strive is for ihsan right ihsan uh not just in our spirituality, but ihsan with our family, ihsan with Allah, ihsan with our spouse. And ihsan, the, the definition is excellence, right? We want to be, uh, we want to strive for excellence. So when Jibra'il came to the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, he asked him about what is Islam, what is Iman, but then thereafter he asked him what is ihsan. And so recognizing, um, you know, having a conscious consciousness right and recognizing being mindful that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching you right and so when you live your life in recognition and uh, with a sense of mindfulness that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always present then how would you conduct your affairs would you not then take your medication would you, would you not then say salam would you not then converse uh, with your family members and so on and so forth so that emotional pain that suppressing that you're putting yourself through it's challenging it's difficult uh recognize that and sometimes you need your own space sometimes you want to feel sad and sometimes you just want to have a tub of ice cream you want to eat fried chicken um, you know it's not good for you and it's okay but recognize that I do want to get through this. I don't want to stay in this situation, this state. I don't want to get worse. Rather, um, it's okay to have an odd day here and there or an odd couple days, right? Take some time for yourself. Um, there, burnout is real, right? Burnout within COVID is real. Being at home all day with your family, sometimes you just need to isolate yourself and, you know, breathe. Uh, a lot of us are, you know, yearning to have a vacation now, right? And it's, these situations are extremely real and we have to be easy on ourselves as well. Don't be too hard mm. and don't be too by the book. Recognize that there is fair balance and we should be able to balance that. Yeah, uh, there's um, a, uh, a, I'm trying to be conscious of time, but I do want to get 
uh, to a comment and a question, Brother uh, Basim al Ghawbi. Uh, he says, uh, I'm someone who has had a lived experience with mental health challenges for over 20 years, with some of the first eight years having some very fluctuating and stark times. Alhamdulillah, I've been comparatively very well over the past many years, and faith, creative expression, and treatment have evolved as a peer support to others in the community that may be going through a tough time like I, I was at earlier parts of my journey. Are, are there programs available for And others to be listed as a resource, reached and organized and manageable way, recognizing that I am not a medical professional. Sorry, you threw up there. Oh, um, I think I I think I understood that. So you have someone with lived experience who, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, is in a better state um, than previously and wants to know about peer support. And I, you know, first off, I don't know of any peer support groups, but it does seem to be a very good idea. I mean, I think it would be something that would be important to do with with the backup of let's say somebody who who led it, a group a group supervision so if you had a clinician or someone there um who could provide the support and oversight but i think sometimes lived experience of people who also have been healing and maybe are, are further along on that path or have some experience um sometimes peer support can bring solace in a way that 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 a professional where you feel that there might be a power differential um it has a special thing so that that's a very interesting um idea i personally don't know of something that's specifically for muslims but i think that would be a good thing to to think about i know in some of the um the universities uh we have chaplaincy programs that do work with um with peer support um sometimes that's in coordination with uh, mental health uh, resources uh, so that might be something interesting to look into um, as as an idea. Um, so yeah, but thank you, thank you for that uh, for that suggestion. And I don't know, brother Umar, do you do Sheikh Umar? Do you, are you aware of any groups that have peer support? But it, certainly that that principle is there in group therapy and and other types of healing groups for other issues. Um, people very often are brought together. Let's say. Um, because of a common experience of grief or substance abuse or, or something like that. It would be more um, issue-based rather than population-based. I think uh, on a national level, it would be very difficult to incorporate uh, given like ethical and legal uh, regulations. Um, but there is not an in-person peer support uh, system, but there is uh, over the telephone with Nasiha. And uh, so you can get in contact with Nasiha Mental Health and they do have a peer support program uh, wherein it's it's over the phone. Uh, so if an individual or a youngster is going through something, uh, or any individual is going through a challenge and they want to call out for a counselor, this counselor isn't a licensed therapist, but a peer support counselor um, that has basic counseling uh, intervention skills. Mm -hmm. So so the oversight is important because you don't want to take on something that you don't have the ethical training to manage. So I wouldn't want to, I mean, you can always be a helpful person and your, your lived experience can be a great asset for the people around you. But for something organized, like someone reaching out in distress, it, it would be good to give yourself the backing so that your behavior and your, your contribution is ethical. So something like that, that would take your lived experience, give you some, some counseling training and give you oversight so that should something happen, um, you're not you're not with something that all of a sudden you find in your you're in over your head and, and somebody could could 
experience harm. So I think if you check those boxes, then I would think that there is a good way to use your experiences to pay forward in a, in a positive way that other people could benefit from. And that sense of collective um, experience and support is, you know, we're very often wounded people. We talk about, uh, we, we use those experiences that sometimes we wish we didn't have. Allah can bring goodness through them um, when we are working together in the community. Definitely, definitely. Um, one other um, thing to be- You're having a serious story. Sorry, go ahead, Sheikh Omar. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. Yeah, uh, I was, yeah sorry, my, my internet is causing a little bit of a problem here, but uh, I was saying, you know, perhaps even having um, uh, platforms, opportunities, uh, talks, uh, shows, you know, where we showcase uh, stories, of, uh, uh, stories of success, where people have overcome struggles uh, like Brother Bassem, but you know, it gives uh, hope to Barbara, you had mentioned that, and that's you know, a key word uh, for, for people to, to feel like uh, you know, they, there is hope. Uh, and when we see people who have gone through similar struggles and they have successfully been, over, uh, uh, been able to overcome them, mashallah, uh, then I think that can be a great source of inspiration and hope. Any, uh, any parting uh, comments, inshallah, Sheikh Omar? I know you were saying something, I apologize. Um, and uh, it's been uh, over an hour now, so I want to uh, thank you both for your time. I'll, I'll give you an opportunity, inshallah, to uh, to, to um, give us some uh, final thoughts. Sister uh, uh, Sheikh Omar, I cut you off, so go ahead, Sheikh Omar. Sorry. So just in response to Brother Basim, that we don't have to limit ourselves to just working or volunteering or providing our services uh, to the Muslim community. It would be extremely helpful to be able to take your cultural um, sensitivities uh, to even non-Muslim groups or organizations and community centers, um, counseling centers to be able to provide your insights on how to be able to help and address the need in the wider community. And within that is goodness as well and within that is reward and probably even greater reward as a struggle may be greater uh, depending on you know the cultural or religious um, uh, nuances that are uh, placed there. So I want to let everyone know that there are many different resources online, especially different toolkits uh, for the community. Uh, one is a family youth institute um, that has a suicide prevention toolkit. Uh, so you can access that. Again, the family and youth institute, they're based in uh, the States. And the Stanford uh, Muslim Mental Health Lab is coming out with uh, a new uh, suicide prevention toolkit. Uh, so it has a lot of prevention and intervention, but also uh, you know, khutbas uh, for imams uh, and so on and so forth. To be, so the community can really uh, take over and begin and build their own little um, bubble when it comes to helping out individuals that are going through either suicidal ideation, self-harm, or families that are grieving over an individual that has passed away due to suicide and the stigma in relation to that. So keep an eye out for that, the Muslim Mental Health Lab at Stanford. Again, I believe it's in partnership with uh, Khalil Center in the Bay Area. And if you are looking for therapy services, uh, Khalil Center, uh, we are based in Toronto, and we are the largest um, provider of Muslim mental health care in North America. If you would like, um, I recognize that you're based in Ottawa, and uh, we do have our therapists that provide online uh, clinical services, Islamically integrated um, with, through video counseling uh, or in-person counseling. So do make sure to reach out to us and feel free and comfortable to um, discuss your challenges and situations with any one of our therapists here at the Khalil Center. Jazakumullah khair. Thank you, Sheikh Omar. Thank you, Sheikh Omar. Thank you, Sheikh Omar.
Sister Barbara, final thoughts. Okay, so we're talking about self-harm and we're talking about suicide. And there's been some consistent themes about pain. Oh, I guess my cat wants to participate also. Okay, sorry. There's been some consistent themes about pain, about isolation, marginalization, marginalization and distress. And so some of the 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 antidotes to those conditions are connection and meaning and support. Um, and to do this, be kind to yourself. Yes, if we're not justifying or, or idolizing um, self-harm or suicide, these are problems. These are signs of distress, signs of some ill health or maladaptive um, thing uh, approach. But but we're doing this in a non-judgmental way. Be kind to yourself and be kind to those around you. Um, one of the things I was thinking in, and one of the response that Sheikh Omar was saying about people who act out and they, they harm themselves emotionally by act, by cutting their relations with family and people that they care, care about. Um, we talk a bit in DBT, one of the approaches about having a wise mind where you give yourself a non-judgmental space to observe whatever your emotions are. You don't say I ought to or I ought not to. Whatever your emotions are, they are what they are. You observe this, and usually they're a, a clue. They're they're some kind of um, message that something is not as it should be. So telling yourself you ought not to feel this way, or you ought not to do that, is really not helpful in trying to figure out these these desires to 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 do harmful things or to react in in unhelpful ways. They're coming from someplace. So give yourself some kindness and some space to observe what these feelings are. But then from a place of calm and from support, you can choose your behaviors. You can, instead of react, you can respond. So if you're kind and you accept yourself for where you are and you use that to try to then allow yourself to, to find hope and to, to grow into a better space, um, you can address these feelings of pain and isolation and marginalization and distress um, with kindness, with help, with, and these are things that can help inspire hope and can help you to be a voice of hope and support for those around you. So um, we can we can do this together as families, as communities, as um, professionals, as non-professionals. We can address these pains in our community and we can get better. We have the tools, we have the faith, we have Allah's support. Um, and so I think despite the heaviness of this topic and the suffering that we see around us in many ways, we have the ability to be better, to get better. And so I'd like to, to, to acknowledge that hope that we can experience ourselves and we can in share and encourage um, among ourselves and with each other. Thank you so much uh, to both of you. I know you've probably been uh, a long week. Uh, Sister Barbara, I know you were traveling from Ottawa to Cornwall tonight. Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, before I, I let you go, Sheikh Omar, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, but can we just make a short uh, dua for our brothers and sisters uh, who are going through these struggles? Uh, it could be as simple as you like. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wassalamu ala ashraf al-anbiya'i wal-mursayina wa banaatina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa qina adha bin-nar Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us goodness in this life and goodness in the hereafter Ya Allah protect us from and safeguard us from the difficulties and challenges in this life Ya Allah and safeguard and protect us from the difficulties and challenges in the hereafter Ya Allah those individuals that are suffering going through emotional, mental, physical uh, pain and difficulties Ya Allah remove their difficulties from their lives Ya Allah allow those families that are grieving uh, 
to grieve uh, with with peace, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Allow them to come closer to you. Allow us to come closer to you. Allow our hearts to be connected with, your, with you, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Allow our families to be connected with you, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Ya Allah, safeguard and protect our communities. Safeguard and protect our children, our youngsters, our women, our men, Ya Allah. Safeguard and protect all of us and allow us to be strong-willed, strong-minded, and, uh, and, 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 and just strong in general, Ya Allah, so that we're able to come closer to you and be in proximity towards you, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Ya Allah, those of us that are going through difficulties and challenges, those of us that are having our families go through difficulties and challenges, whether it be uh, marital conflict, domestic violence, Ya Allah, remove all these difficulties and these challenges from our families, from our communities, and from our lives, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Safeguard and protect us and allow us to live in peace. Allow us uh, to to, to come closer to you and in proximity to our Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Ameen. Ameen. Jazakumullah khairan. Thank you so much uh, and uh, go get uh, some well-deserved uh, rest uh, inshallah. And uh, we are extremely grateful for your participation tonight. Jazakumullah uh, khairan. Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum I uh, also want to give a special thanks uh, to all of our brothers and sisters uh, who joined us uh, this evening to watch, uh, but also those uh, who left comments and asked questions. Uh, we really value your participation, uh, and I hope uh, that this uh, segment has been uh, beneficial. Um, there is a lot more to talk about. Uh, there are a lot of other uh, issues related to mental health, um, and I'm sure there will be a lot of more questions as well that uh, we have not been able to address uh, tonight. So, inshallah, we will... Uh, try to continue uh, to address topics that are, are relevant uh, to members of our community, uh, inshallah, and uh, we hope that you will continue to join us. Um, all programming uh, is saved on our uh, YouTube and Facebook pages, uh, so you can go back and watch uh, segments that you may have missed as well. Thank you so much. Please take care of yourself uh, and your families. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be with you and may he envelop you in his protection and uh, grant uh, peace uh, and, uh, and and good health uh, and uh, and uh, strengthen in Iman, in faith uh, to all of us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Jazakumullah khaira. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.